Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to a Britflix Frightfest preview podcast. I've got with me Sean Hogan. Hello, Sean. Hello, Stuart. How's it going? It's going all right. It's going all right. Uh, you're the. Uh, I'm in the double figures now talking to you with podcasts. You are. <laughs> I never. Uh, usually that takes weeks, not days. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm getting. A, I'm getting a bird's eye view of the whole of Frightfest. I think. Um, now, what film are we? Uh, we coming to talk about? Uh, we are here to talk about Future Shock, the story of 2000 AD. Do you want to, do you want to, is, is, is there a way of giving like a brief synopsis of what that might be? I mean, what, is, was there a kind of brief that you set out with when you, when you meant to um, make it? Well, we just kind of figured, um, obviously at this stage, 2000 AD, which for anyone who doesn't know, and if they don't know, I'm not sure why they'd be listening to this in the first place, but is obviously a long running English comic. Uh, comic weekly that's been going for nearly 40 years now um, and had a great influence uh, both in terms of the kind of stories it ran and also the people that wrote and, and drew for it who went on to kind of transform the comics industry at large um, and myself and Paul the director were uh, you know we'd known each other for a long time and we were we were literally just talking one night and and it, and it came up and he was kind of like why has no one ever done the proper story of 2000 AD? And I was like, damn, you're right, we should do it. <laughs> um, and it really was just out of a desire to tell the story because we couldn't believe that no one had done it properly. Yeah. Um, and yet it's hugely important. So we kind of just felt as though it hadn't really been giving its, given its due. And that's, so it was like, well, if no one else is going to do it, then we better do it. Yeah, because I think previous kind of attempts to sort of makes it does make it, it points to two thousand AD, but it's often like a footnote, isn't it? In the in the kind of in the graphic novel scene as is now, it's like oh, yeah. and there was this British comic that that gave birth to lots of things, and and that's that really. But I think what you documented yeah, my, was, my analogy with it has always kind of been the same way that people talk about the Roger Roger Corman. And like, you know, the people that started off working for him making these B-movies, yeah. you know, like the late 60s and you have people like Coppola and Scorsese and all these people that kind of started off making B-movies to Roger Corman um, and then went on to sort of transform the film industry in the 70s. And 2000 is kind of similar. Um, you know, it, it, it gave all these people a start. And then basically once the U.S. started to take notice of what was being done in this, you know, this little comics weekly over in the U.K., they just started sweeping everyone up and taking them to the U.S. And over there, you know, most famously Alan Moore, but there were others. But they just kind of shook up the whole U.S. industry. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, there are a certain amount of people are aware of that. But I think it's especially in the U.S., people are not so much aware of where these people actually came from. It's just sort of like they sprang fully formed, 
yeah, into the US industry and, and started doing all this great work. But it's sort of like, you know, well, you know, they've done a lot of stuff before that and no one really talks about that. No, no, totally. It's, 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 it's a Brit invasion I've never really seen sort of quantified as such a, such a big leap. You know, it really was. It really, it really did change what was going yeah. on. No, it absolutely did. But the other thing as well is, it's kind of like, if you like these guys' work, then they did some fantastic stuff for 2000 AD, mm. you know. Um, and it's kind of, you know, we wanted to highlight that as well. It's not just what they did afterwards, but it's also, look at these comics, they're fantastic. And this was stuff that was being produced ostensibly for kids. Mm. You know, look at it, and it's so subversive, and it's so weird, and it's so violent and dark. Uh, and this, but this was on the newsstand every week for kids, you know, just pennies. This little black and white comic. No, and that was that was the bit that I mean, I kind of forget. You forget what you what you read as a kid, and yeah. and and you don't think about it because it is to, to you it's it's all action. And I think they cover this well in you cover this well in documentary. The idea that for kids there was the surface of all you know the blood and guts and the and the the heroes and villains and stuff, but but underneath that, as you get older. There's a whole other element to what was going on with the writing, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it's so, like, you know, we, obviously we, we, we do try to cover this in the dog, but you, mm-hmm. you had a whole bunch of people writing for it who were, you know, uh, politically active or, you know, certainly uh, had a subversive streaks in their thinking or whatever else. And they were just trying to sneak this stuff in under the guise of it being like a sort of, you know, sci-fi genre comic. But, all of the stories there are like doing something, you know, there's, they're very weird. They're very subversive. Um, and it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, you can read something like judge dread on a superficial level. And it's like, you know, guns and cops and whatever else, but it's like, you know, it, it is massively political and it is massively subversive. Well, I mean, I remember reading a, 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 a history of the, of, of comics in Britain by some academic in, in Manchester who actually, he lectures in the subject and um, uh, he he talked about how you know the British public generally not 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 fans of comics they don't really hold comics dearly as an adult medium, do they? That may be true. I mean, uh, I think you know obviously what's what's happened certainly with 2000 AD specifically over time is that it's gone from being a very mass market publication this day, you know, mm. back when, when I was a kid and I read it, it was selling hundreds of thousands a week, mm. you know, now it's a much more kind of niche, um, publication, but it has uh, the people who buy it are hard, hardcore fans. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like boiled down to the people who read that now are, are probably are sort of very hardcore comics readers. I don't know how many of them read other comics, Mm. Um, but, but, but so certainly there is kind of a nucleus, uh, you know, um, uh, in, in terms of UK comics readers, but I can, I kind of see what he means. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I mean more in the fact that how important it is to the culture. I mean, for something like 2008 to be born out of British culture, I mean, in the documentary, they reference punk a lot, you know, yeah. and obviously the, the lion's share of its real growth period was under Thatcher. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so these these were real things to to react to, react to and react against. Um, but but comics are not. To, I mean, I just mean culturally speaking. I don't mean that there isn't comic readers. Um, yeah. I mean, as in like the fact that it took the American comics to then make the people who were coming up with these crazy and clever ideas. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, the American comics industry has always been like bigger and brasher and, and whatever else. I mean, I think I think then we did have more of a comics industry, and you know, these things were selling well. I mean, that's died out over time, and we we kind of touch on that in the documentary. But I mean, there might be another level to it, which I kind of think tends to is true in a lot of in a wider sense about this country, in that these things are not considered important. That's, that's, the, that's what I'm getting at, really. By the people that appoint themselves as your self-appointed people who deem such things important. But that's that's true of, of film and, and a lot of other things as well. It's kind of, you know, you look at this stuff which is always ghettoised as being genre. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, our, our, our cultural overlords don't don't think things like 2000 AD or, or horror movies or anything else are important. And it's only when they've hung around for so long that they can't be ignored anymore that people start to go, oh, maybe there's actually something going on there, you know. Uh, I think, but, it, I think, but I think you capture that really well in the documentary in the sense of, for, for, I think for that, the first half, you, you, the way that the people talk about it, the feel, the, you, feel, you feel their sense of fight to get this established mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, getting their ideas out there. And, and I, I never knew the kind of segue from... Um, from the action comic to 2000 AD, and and certainly I would love to get my hands on that one that, that got them in all the trouble. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is just such an amazing front cover for a children's comic. <laughs> it might actually there was I don't know if it's still up, but there was a website that had a lot of um, a lot of the action stuff on there. And it, right, it was called the Seven Penny Nightmare. I think last time I looked at it, it was down, but uh, okay. but it's it's worth checking because they they have put up scans of a lot of the action comics and stuff like that it's worth it's worth checking out yeah now for, for the listener I'm, I'm just there's a there's a point in the towards the beginning of the documentary that sort of gives you where the the jumping off point i suppose is for where we got 2000 ad which was this other comic that pat mills was involved with editing on had he created it as well yeah i think i think it was very much pat's baby actually. okay okay so and then and then got into a lot of trouble with a controversial image that insinuated that a policeman was lying half dead on the floor in the <laughs> I think there were there were a lot of things that was that was one that specifically mentioned but you know action was even now you go back and you look at it and it was so violent um and some of the stuff in it you were just kind of like absolutely gobsmacked by uh i, I so i think it was kind of a, a gradual build-up, um, you know, ahead of steam of, like, this stuff was coming out every week and eventually enough people took notice just went this is uh, this is absolutely appalling. But it's and, but it's equally fascinating then, because that was obviously, it was hyper-real, because it, it, the stories looking at what they were sh- what you show in the documentary the stories were very much about the here and now, and yes. the logic being with 2000 AD is, if we move into sci-fi we can somehow do this subversive stuff and people won't pay as close attention. Which is, which is a classic genre trick. Yeah. You know, it's the same way that you get a lot of B-movies that kind of have a lot of political subversion going on beneath the sort of genre elements. It's sort of a classic trick of smuggling stuff in so that on the surface you're just like, hey, we're just doing this genre thing. Uh, and so people go, fine, we'll give you money for that. And then you kind of get to play around with this stuff underneath the sort of superficial genre elements. Um, and that's precisely what 2018 was. No, no, no. So, so how from from that from that conversation you had in the pub where we should make this documentary? What was the yep. what was the what was the period of time from then to where we are now? Um, I, it was relatively quick. Um, I mean, well, I mean, to where we are now, it wasn't relatively quick because we, you know, we were shooting the damn thing for like probably best part of two and a half years. Okay, but um, in terms of us actually getting it into production. 
production, it was relatively quick. So the director, Paul, uh, who I've known for a long time, uh, has a has a company with two other friends of you know his and mine, yeah. um, and they they do a lot of sort of corporate video work and stuff like that. So they were kind of pretty much set up to go. So we just kind of had to talk his business partners into doing it mm. um, and get them a, a little bit pregnant. Um, and then, um, and then we were kind of underway and like we, I think the first, and then, but, and then I went to my friend Helen who produced the film with me because, uh, as, as big as comic fans as me and Paul are, oh, we're not really in that world. We're not really of that world. Okay. Uh, and so Helen Milan, who produced it with me is much more connected in terms of comics. So I sort of went to her and was like, would you like to get involved with this? And so we kind of ransacked her address book and started speaking to people. Um, and, and yeah, like, like the first interview we shot was Chris Weston at a, at a comic, uh, a, a comic, um, expo. Okay. So, um, and that was just us dipping our toes in the water. Um, but we knew all along that we had to get Pat Mills. Mm. Um, because he started it, he's still there, he is the kind of spine of the story. Of course. And, and so we were like, if we don't get Pat, we haven't got a documentary. And so we were kind of, we were, we'd started putting out the feelers at that point. Uh, and then I think it was like literally a, a couple of months later, um, we did, we went and interviewed Pat, we went down to his, to his place and interviewed him and, we were there for 11 hours. I mean, you kind of think, I think watching the documentary, you get a sense of how energetic Pat is and how much he can talk. And yeah, we kind of like hit record and he just started and didn't stop for 11 hours. Um, so once we kind of staggered out of his place, we knew we had a film. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm surprised you even had to ask him. And I thought he got a whiff. There was a documentary being made, and he was doorstepping you. Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, you know, I, but we, I, none of us knew him. None of us had yeah, yeah, yeah. him. And um, you know, he's quite a character, so we didn't really know what we were walking into. But no, like he himself said, you know, we were kind of very, you know, grateful and you know, sort of apologise if you take up so much of his time and all this kind of thing. And he was sort of like, no, the, you know, this is this is long overdue. This story needs to be told. And so he was he was very happy to do it, and he has been kind of supportive of it ever since. How, how much how much politically did you? How careful did you have to tread politically with this comic? Because there there are certain sort of revelations where I'm guessing the people you spoke to, if they're all in the room together, they'd all be looking at each other, going, "That was your fault. That that was your fault. That." You know, kind of thing. Yeah, there are there are obviously certain uh, people who don't necessarily get on that well. We kind of touch on some of that. Yeah. Uh, um, generally, people were okay. I mean, um, your thing is with the documentary is that you're never going to please everyone all the time, and of so um, and you kind of have to abbreviate certain things and, and whatever else and you, you're trying to give an overall impression of everything, but you can't get into like huge amounts of detail. So uh, I'm sure there's a certain amount of people kind of going, well, well, you know, there's another side to this story and whatever else it's got. Like, you know, we tried to be as fair as we could, mm. um, try to give everyone a say. Um, you know, I know when Pat first saw it, he, he took umbrage at a couple of things. Um, and, um, I had a bit of a back and forth with him about it, but then when he saw it again, he was a lot happier with it. Um, and I think it was just partly 
it was just you know that was his whole life essentially and of course, yeah. and he's you know and he sat there he, he sat there at the BFI <coughs> with a you know room full of you know 900 people hmm. and it's obviously you know you're watching yourself anyway which is kind of intimidating so i think the first time was yeah, it was kind of a, yeah i think it was a bit of an experience for him but then he, when he saw it again recently in edinburgh he sort of came to me afterwards and was sort of like no i you know i get it now i see what you were doing and i you know i I think you did a great job and you had to show the conflicts and all this kind of thing. So, you know, he, he kind of came around after a like slightly bumpy initial first reaction to it. Um, I hope that people will, you know, everyone will kind of feel the same. Uh, I think, you know, someone like David Bishop, who in the like kind of the, the overall history of 2008, doesn't have a very good reputation because he was the editor at a time when it was kind of going through a bad patch. Yeah. But, he comes across very well in the film, you know. He sort of obviously you know, knows what, you know, how you know some of how he's been painted, uh, but he's very self-deprecating about it. I think he's very honest, and he's you know, and he's a smart, funny guy, and I think he comes off very well, you know. And I think everyone does. We didn't want people to come off badly. We just wanted to sort of tell an interesting story. No, I, th- I think I think the I think you're right. I, I mean, I didn't mean to suggest that the the, the, the documentary sort of pointed in that sense because I think that I think everybody that was when they were looking back at the kind of things that had gone right and wrong, there was also a sense of self-deprecation about them all because they were. I think each individual one of them, a bit like in a film, really thought their point of view was the right one. You know, no yeah. matter how good or bad their intentions were, they all and they're all strong-willed people because. They were principled. They were rebelling against something or other in the way they were doing their creative work. So, obviously, those kind of individuals in a cabin fever scenario, yeah, are gonna are gonna cause sparks. No, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I think the only person, the only people that we really didn't give their due to were the suits. But like, frankly, who gives a fuck about the suits? Um, you know. <laughs> no, no, totally. And I think I, I think that that was my thought. Looking at it was like you know a load a load of mavericks, but actually. The, the real problem you could see that was the shadow in the background was a load of sort of ma- management fuckery that actually yes. didn't allow what could have grown to grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, there was, there was, obviously there are certain people that, um, that aren't in the documentary that, that, that were important on the, in various different ways to 2000 AD. And, you know, that's partly, I think with some of them, it's because they didn't want to get dragged into that. Yeah, you know. So I think some people were just kind of like, "I that's that's a part of my life that's over. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to sort of get dragged into those kind of old conflicts and things like that." And yeah. I think that was true of a couple of people. So yeah, you know, fair enough. Some people don't want to get involved. That's okay. But you know, we tried to do right by the people that we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the big the big the big name is is Alan Moore, but you have Grant Morrison, don't you? So it's kind of. Yeah, um, which, you know, would I'm sure Alan Moore would love that. <laughs> but, um, no, we, you know, we did try and get Alan Moore. Um, we knew that it was always going to be a long shot, but we spent about a year figuring out the best way to even approach him. Mm. Um, and then, and it's very difficult because most people won't even introduce you to him. Okay. Um, so uh, when we, like, when Pat introduced us to Kevin O'Neill, and one of the first things he said was, don't ask him about Alan Moore. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) So we didn't. Um, But we did eventually manage to get an introduction. um, And, you know, we put the word out and sort of said, would you be interested in doing this? And the word came back that, no, he wouldn't, uh, that he was didn't want to talk about the past. Um, And, you know, 
fair enough. I think he gets his due anyway. Um, we obviously ended up speaking to his daughter, Leah, who was lovely, and she kind of spoke for him in certain respects. Um, and, um, and you know, it's sort of like I actually ended up interviewing him for Fright Fest last when he was promoting his film. Yeah. Um, and I did an interview with him there, and I was warned again by the PR beforehand, said, don't ask him about Watchmen or anything like that. And I was like, I have no interest in asking him about Watchmen. <laughs> um, and he was, he was great. I, you know, I really enjoyed speaking to him, and we, and we had a good chat. Um, so he's a perfectly good guy. It's, you know, it's just the fact that he doesn't want to talk about the past. And, 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 you know, we had to respect that. And like you say, I mean, it's not like he's rubbed out of history. He's very much... Part of the narrative. I mean, you know, I think it's it's actually quite a a moving bit of the film when we talk about Halo Jones and all this kind of thing. And, you know, luckily we also had Neil Gaiman, who obviously knows Alan very well, and he was able to kind of fill in some of the gaps and give us a sense of kind of how all that went down. And, you know, I think it's, you know, because obviously there are sort of, you know, things where, things about 2000s history where it went wrong and there, there are things which are sort of, tragic or missed opportunities or whatever and that's certainly one of them and, and we didn't want to sort of shy away from getting into that no 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 i mean to be honest with you that uh, i kind of i kind of mit- lost sight of it for 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 a number of years and which include the years where they tried to compete with loaded magazine that you highlight that was the funniest thing i ever i thought i'd seen <laughs> this idea of trying to titillate up 2000 ad to get readers yeah, I mean, no one, no one, no one involved looks back on that particularly fondly now. But again, that was kind of, you know, that was the management sort of saying, we, you know, loaded selling really well. We need to do that. Yeah, you know, and it's just, but it's, again, it's just the suits. Not all they want to do is copy whatever else is successful, but that's not necessarily what you've got. That's not what you're doing. But that's, you know, that's a problem that people run into time and time again whenever you're dealing with executives. Indeed. What was, what, given, given you're a fan yourself going into this, what was your, what was your surprise discovery from the people you spoke to that wasn't necessarily something that you, that was generally sort of common part of the story? Um, I guess it's more, I think, I, I guess it's kind of just how hard they actually had to fight to do this. Mm. You don't always think about that. And when you're, you speak to people and you kind of find out what, what the process was and how much they were constantly like being messed with or having to smuggle stuff in or all that kind of thing, it's sort of like the process of it was really interesting to me just because coming at it from, you know, I'm not a comics person, I work in film, mm. um, but finding out that actually a lot of what they went through is kind of similar to what you have to go through as a filmmaker. And it was sort of like, you know, and, and I, re- I really wanted to get a sense of that in the film. That was really interesting to me. And one of the, one of the things we wanted to try and do with the film was make it interesting to people who weren't even necessarily interested in 2000 AD, mm. kind of try and strike some chords with it where people who weren't 2000 AD fans or even necessarily comics fans could look at it and go, yeah, but that's, but that's kind of that's more that's universal. This is not just like fan service. This is not about Judge Dredd or whatever. This is actually about bigger issues. Mm. And a, a friend of mine who saw the film early on, who's a music journalist, he kind of came to me and was sort of like, "Yeah, that's precisely what I've gone through." You know, as well, I don't work in comics, I work in music journalism, but I've had to deal with all that crap as well. And it was like it's just kind of nice to see that striking a chord with people. And it's like I wanted to get a sense of that in the film. And and did. Did you 
you said you did your 11 hours with Pat. Yeah. Um, did that drive the rest of the story, or did that establish what story you thought you were going to get? Well, we we kind of knew because obviously, on, in some senses, it's just it's just a history of 2000 AD. Of course. Um, so you're always going to have that kind of chronological story to a certain extent. So we had, you know, we had a story there, but obviously we wanted to get into other stuff. And so, and then interviewing Pat kind of helped flesh a lot of that other stuff out. Um, so, you know, like, like I just said, I never wanted this and certainly none, you know, no one else ever wanted this to be a fan documentary. Just, you know, we didn't want to get into the kind of just just stuff about the characters and all that kind of thing. It's sort of like we wanted to make sure that we stuck to the the, the issues behind the story of 2000 AD. So whenever we dealt with characters or stuff like that, it was always with an eye on the bigger picture. It was kind of like how do these characters reflect what 2000 AD is actually about? Mm. You know, it's not a case of we want to get into what colour dreads underwear is or anything like that you know it's it, it, it's all about the ideology that drove this so i think speaking to pat kind of helped us get a clearer idea of where he was coming from and 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 stuff like that and so we kind of continued along those lines and we and we basically just we tried to get as much material as we could i mean mm. essentially obviously some you know pat we pat was the longest interview we did we had a, a, a few others that were fairly long and then sometimes you only get half an hour with someone so you're really you're, you're, you're trying to target the questions accordingly but essentially we we wanted this to be definitive because no one had done it before and some of these older guys you don't know how much longer they're going to be around and so we were kind of like this is it we want we need to do the most definitive account we can so we tried to get as much material as we could and we've got a lot of material. Um, and then it's just a case of structuring it. And, you know, the first cut of it I watched was probably eight or nine hours. Whoa! Uh, yeah. Um, and, and But I, I watched it and I was like, well, we've, we've got a film. I know there's a film there. Yeah. Um, because what I could see was that there was definitely a through line to it. And as well as, you know, going back to the chronology, as well as that chronology you had all this other stuff that was interesting, you know, stuff about the politics and stuff about, you know, the rise and fall of it and, and then the rise again. Um, but all these other issues you could get into along the way in terms of how, you know, the artists were treated in terms of, you know, uh, copyright, all this kind of stuff. You could get into the nitty gritty of that along the way. So it was just a case of structuring it so that you could tell the chronological story, but also get into that stuff. Yeah, because I, I think I mean that maybe is some of the points that your your music journalist friend was alluding to. Because I thought I thought that you you covered the certainly the copyright and the treatment and the treatment of the art was just phenomenal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, for the listeners' benefit, I mean, a couple of the people talk about how they would see original storyboarded artwork used as doorstops or mopping up spilled liquid. Yeah. Um, but then worse I'm worse fine. than that was the treatment of the artists themselves who enjoyed no benefit from the work going elsewhere. Yep. You which, which blew you my mind. Copyright, you, you, know, you didn't, didn't get royalties or, or, or anything. You didn't get money from reprints or anything like that. Yeah, no, we, 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 we sort of, we hold our heads, you know, wondering how we're going to deal with Spotify. But actually, you know, the idea of shitting on a great hike from people that create the stuff that makes things popular. Yep. 
Oh, it's, it's been going on for a it's, long time. It's, it's, never, it's never actually began, it's just always happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, no, that was that was a really important point. Couple that with the, the notion, I mean, I'd forgotten it was weekly, to be honest with you. For some reason, I'd imagined, because I'd, I'd, I was only a casual kind of reader of it, I wasn't a, the avid one. Um, so then when you listen to the editors talk about the idea of the, the seven-day pressure of getting this work out, the brilliant artwork in of itself, and then add into that treated like shit. It's like, why? You know, they obviously were motivated beyond, you know, the simple paycheck. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to love it for the you know simple reason. That the, why would you do this if you didn't love it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's better now. Um, there, are, there are always still going to be issues, but there, it's much better now. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's... It's, and again, I think that's true of people who work in all sorts of creative industries. You know, you you just kind of have to love it because you get treated so badly by the money people, and and that certainly struck a chord with me. And it was sort of like, and you know, and that, we 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 didn't want to make a puff piece either. You know, we didn't want to sort of shy away from any of the dodgy aspects of what happened mm. because you know it wouldn't be true to 2008 to try and make it into a puff piece. So it, we didn't want to shy away from those kind of conflicts and those kind of really dodgy aspects of, you know, how it was produced and how people were treated. You know, I think it's very important to acknowledge all of that. And I think in a weird kind of maybe almost sort of the way that we always remember the past, when you can see a twinkle in some of the some of the fellas' eyes that is... But it was good back then, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, they know they produce something good. I mean, as much as... I mean, like, yeah, Pat still writes for it, so yeah. he, he never went away. But some of the other guys who've obviously moved on uh, to, to bigger things... Um, you know, I sort of, and they're, you know, they're very proud of what they did, but if you ask them if they'd ever go back, you know, I asked Kevin O'Neill if he'd ever go back, mm. and he said, I'd rather shag a dead baboon's ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a measure of no, then, yeah, I guess that's Sadly, a no. we couldn't figure out a way to fit that into the film, but, uh, <laughs> but he did say it. Um, you know, but he was, he was very happy to talk about it. Um, it's obviously a chapter of their lives that's you know now been closed, but I think they're very you know very proud of what they did. They recognise that it was important, and they're you know very happy to have been involved. So, um, where and when can people see Future Shock at Fright Fest this year? It is on at the disgracefully early time of ten thirty on the Saturday morning. I think it's the Saturday the twenty ninth, but the Saturday, the Saturday of Fright Fest. Yeah. It's on at ten thirty in the morning in Discovery Screen One, which has a sponsor's name that I can't re can't remember, but it's Discovery Screen 1. That'll be enough information for the, for the <laughs> listener, thank you. Uh, as, and do you have, I mean, because you've been, you've been playing at a, a, a few uh, festivals, haven't you, so far, with this film? Yeah, um, we've been bouncing around. We, we, we premiered it in the US last year at Fantastic Fest. Yeah. Um, and then basically what happened was, is that, we kind of, we were, Fantastic Fest accepted it, but we were really like working up to the wire. So we, we showed essentially a kind of our, our, the cut with the screen of Fantastic Fest. We hadn't cleared for legal or anything. Mm. We just, we just showed it. And then, then we had to go to the lawyers with it. And so it took a while to actually go through and get everything properly cleared. Mm. Um, and then in the meantime, so we kind of like held it back for a bit. And then in the meantime, Edinburgh wanted to screen it. Uh, so we kind of had to take it out of circulation until the Edinburgh Festival. Right. Uh, but then they sort of, well, the BFI screened it as well as kind of a sneak preview yeah. back last November. But then, then, then it kind of, uh, went quiet until Edinburgh. But now Edinburgh, Edinburgh screened it. We, we're starting to do quite a lot of festivals with it. So yeah, it's, it's doing the rounds. 
So, so for those people who might be listening to this that aren't going to Fright Fest, is there an official release date or a way that people are going to be able to watch the film in the near future? Um, in terms of, we are currently discussing a release, um, okay. which is, isn't signed yet, so I can't confirm it, but Understand completely. all being well, uh, it should get a release in time for Christmas. Oh, that that's, sounds good. That's the plan. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Sean. No, thank you very much for having me back. No, it was, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's sort of, I, 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 I always love those kind of, where you can watch it and go right. There's a macro view of the world. This was this was this little thing actually had a big big impact. But it, yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, like I said, um, one of, we wanted to give it its due because we felt like a lot of people hadn't. Mm. Uh, so it was really interesting to me when we screened it in the US. I, it was a big test for me because I didn't know how it was going to play. Yeah, you know, because obviously, the, you know, Dread has a certain profile in the US, but people don't generally know 2000 AD itself. Yeah, and the amount the amount of people that came up to me afterwards, kind of going, I didn't know anything about that, but I thought the documentary was great, and also. I didn't know where all this other stuff came from. You know, I'm a big fan of Vertigo, but I had no idea where it came from. And so now I'm going to go and search out all this 2000 AD stuff because I didn't know where these people started. So it's kind of like, I'm glad at least if we can contribute something to sort of people knowing kind of where the, where these writers and artists came from. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a lovely sort of um, byproduct of making the movie that you can kind of help to draw a map of, of, of one comics history and it's, and the tributary streams that formed off it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was just as I say, it's something we were we were huge fans of as kids. It was it was very important to me. I think in terms of uh, you know to what I've got on to do in terms of you know screenwriting and directing and whatever else. It was a really formative early influence for me. Just in, in looking at this stuff and going, wow, you can do this. You know, <laughs> it's all like, this is this is. On the surface, it's one thing, but it, there's other stuff going on. I mean, that was hugely important for me to see that when I was younger. And so, yeah, it was just, it was a massive, massive influence. It was massively important. And we were just kind of like, someone needs to actually stand up and say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well last question, actually. Um, I love the way you use the two movie versions of Judge Dredd <laughs> yeah. to sort of reflect a lack or an appreciate, a lack of appreciation and an appreciation of what what it was all about. Yeah. It's, they kind of, they tie in quite nicely. I think, you know, obviously slightly accidentally, but it's just the way it worked out. Not sure. The first Dread was produced at a time where the comic was, was not going through a particularly good phase. And it's, and it's certainly no fault of the people who ran the comic that the, the Stallone Dread is so fucking awful. Uh, But it just fit with the kind of mood of the time that this movie happened to come out and be terrible at a point where the comic wasn't even very good. Um, and then obviously, uh, when, you know, rebellion took over the comic and turned it around mm. and, and then you, and then you get another dread coming along. That's actually a good movie and the people involved care about it. And it just, it just shows you what a difference it makes when the people, backing a creative endeavor whether it be comics or a movie or whatever actually care enough to let the creative people do what they're good at mm. and it's sort of like you know with the, even those those two movies reflect that it's sort of you know the money people let garland and whoever else do what they wanted to do is ready you got a good movie out of it because it was made by people who cared about what they were trying to do 
and I think that that's a that's a good that's a good way of summarising the the success of two thousand yeah, exactly. as well. It's like when exactly. when the people that were allowed to do, were allowed to do what they enjoyed doing, it was yeah. it, it was at its best. And when it, yeah. when they weren't, it suffered. And is yeah, but I mean, is now. I mean, everyone we we try to give it its due um, in a in a modern sense. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's more of a cult thing now than it used to be. But if you look at the quality of work that's being done in it now, it's fantastic. Mm. And it's, be- it's because it's edited by someone who, lo- who loves comics and knows loves 2000 AD, and the people who own 2000 AD love it. And so they're, they're letting people experiment, and they're letting people do interesting comics. And, you know, it's people say in the documentary it's as good now as it's ever been. Mm. And I think that's true. Um, because it's being run by people that, that understand it and love it. Yeah, no, and I think, I think that's that's something that, as someone who's who's more of a casual bystander in, in terms of it, I knew that it had fell off a cliff, as it were, in the 90s, but I hadn't really appreciated, because I'd lost touch with it, that it had had that resurgence yeah. Un- yeah. under new management and stuff. So that was quite... No, it, it absolutely has. And so it's kind of nice, you know, people see the documentary and they're going to go, oh, they're, if they're inspired to pick up 2000 AD again, then I think they're in for sort of like a very pleasant surprise, because it may not be entirely what you remember. It might be different now, but I still think it's it's equally good. No, totally. So let's, let's just remind people again. When, when can they see it at Fright Fest? They can see it on the, the Saturday morning at 10.30. Okay, magic. So thank you very much, Sean, for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks, Stuart. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.